Well, we'll go with this one. If you've ever attended here before, you have been blessed by Heather because that makes she is a blessing to everyone who is up here on stage and who does stuff at the church. Uh, a recurring theme in uh, what was shared today, I noticed, is very pertinent to what I have to share with you today. And that is how we can, how God can change circumstances that are hard, circumstances that are trying, embittering, you might say, into sweetness. I'm going to start off with a little bit of a joke, just to get everybody going here. I was listening to an old-time pastor preach once, and he kept rounding off his numbers, talking in generalities, and after the service, I asked him, why? And he kind of looked at me with a haunted look, and he told me, don't you know, the devil's in the details. The main passage that we're going to be dealing with is in, found in Exodus 15. So you can start making your way there. The truth about preparing sermons and talks is that as you read and you go, you try and get context for things, you read the Bible, you find yourself more convicted than when you're just kind of sitting down and listening because you don't, like, you get all the context and you, you get all the, the theology surrounding what, what's being taught. And you're like, ooh, there's a lot of work to be done here. Um, there's, there's still a lot of growing God has for me. Still a lot, of, uh, a lot of things to learn. But I was reading Exodus 15 the other day. Um, I had the opportunity to uh, kind of do a devotion with with uh, some of my family. And, uh, and this is where God took me, and I think that it's pertinent for us as well. Exodus 15, uh, verse 19 to 25. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the, went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and the rider he has hurled into the sea. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, What are we going to drink? Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. 
There the Lord made a decree and a law for them. There he tested them. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all the decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought to you on Egypt on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I'll say that again, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Now for context, I'm sure you're all familiar. Israel, God's chosen people. God tells Abraham way in advance, you know what? Your descendants are going to have this land of Canaan, but there's going to be a time in Egypt where there's going to be some slavery, but I'm going to bring them out. I'm going to bring them out. The time in Egypt started off all right with Joseph. We'll get to that later. And then it wasn't very good for a long time. It was, it was bad. It was very, very bad. And then God, through Moses and incredible miracles that could not be ignored by anyone, even though the Egyptian pharaoh tried to ignore it for a while, brought them out and delivered them. And they were pumped. Like, in this passage, we see Miriam singing and dancing, praising God. In chapter 14, it talks about how the Israelites saw that God had delivered them, and they feared the Lord, and they trusted Moses because of everything that they had seen. But, if you've read the Old Testament... You may have observed that the Israelites were also terrible examples of how to behave towards spiritual leaders. They had a pattern of grumbling and then receiving miraculous salvation. And then a short period of repentance, followed by grumbling and falling away. The one good thing that they did do is that they identified a spiritual leader in their midst. And it was Moses. It was pretty obvious for them. You know, it's a little bit a little bit easy for them. But what they did do was whenever there was trouble, they found a spiritual leader. They went to him and said, what do we need to do? Or they said, you know, grumbling. They said, this is what's wrong. We need your help. So in this case, after a mere three days from the Red Sea crossing, you've got to remember, if you're familiar with the story, bam, the Red Sea literally separates. There's a wind. They go across on dry ground. And then after they're all across, Pharaoh and his army wiped out complete and utter deliverance, miraculous in every way. Three days later, they're like, we are, what are we going to drink? Like God is somehow going to just leave them to die in the desert after doing all of those things for them. And sometimes when we read that, we, we kind of 
I know myself, I judge them a little bit. I don't know if any of you have ever read the Old Testament and read what the Israelites did and how they treated Moses and stuff like that. And it's like, you got like, didn't you just see like you were, it was like three days, you know, like you think. But we also have short term memories. And when we get to a point where we have expectations about what's going to happen next, it's very easy for us to snap and become bitter. The desert had been hot and dry, and the water turned out to be bitter, and so were the Israelites. Moses cried out to the Lord. He showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. It's interesting in this case that the water didn't just become drinkable. It became sweet. God transformed what was Buckley's into Kool-Aid for the Israelites. It was not, it was not like, a, oh, okay, now we can kind of have it. And there's a whole sermon right there. And I think that it would relate to what you guys shared about how this piece of wood is almost certainly a picture of the cross. Which changes our bitterness for sweetness. Our sin nature for life through the Holy Spirit. Our fallenness for Christ's righteousness. Our mourning to dancing. Death to eternal life. Dryness to a cup that overflows. And lostness for glorious, indescribable foundness. And even more than that. But that's not what I'm talking about today. The question from this passage is what does this teach us about managing our own Mara, our own bitterness? And that's going to be the first thing that I'm going to suggest to you today about managing bitterness. They suddenly found themselves in the middle of unexpected, challenging circumstances. They had been saved. They had, like, God was leading them. And now they're short on water. And they come to water. And they're like, yes, it's just like God. You know, we're getting short on water. And bam, he leads us to water. And they taste it. And they can't drink it. And they're instantly grumbling. But they grumble amongst themselves, and then they grumble to Moses. Not the right way to interact with a spiritual leader, necessarily. Hopefully, as Christians, we can come with a different heart, a different attitude. But they came to the right person. Because they knew that Moses was tight with God. And Moses talked to God, and he received the direction that they needed. 
we behave in the same way. Only last night I was given an example in my own life. And unfortunately, it is an example of my own frailness. I was putting Mariah to bed. And it's a struggle to get Mariah to bed. You, sometimes. She's very good. But sometimes it's a struggle. And so if you've ever been a parent and you're trying to get, convince your kid that it's time to go to bed and brush their teeth, there are some kids who are great about brushing their teeth. And Mariah's not terrible, but sometimes getting her to come and brush her teeth can be a challenge. And so I got her to the bathroom, and I reach up, and there is no toothbrush or toothpaste for her. And sometimes in life, when you get that unexpected thing, that unexpected challenge, after a little bit of tried patience, it's just like instantly your brain goes to bitterness. And it's like, I have to confess that my first thoughts were not kind towards my wife, who I love. I love my wife so much. I really do. But we, but, but in that moment, I was thinking, what has she done with, this is such an inconvenient, like, she's right here, she's ready to brush her teeth, and no toothbrush, no toothpaste. Now I have to go look for it. Where could it be? And all of those things just flashed into my brain. But that was not an appropriate response. That is not the response God has for me. He does not, that, that little test is so, we so often, we so often jump to bitterness, to resentment, to something that turns us away from their relationships when we get those little unexpected, unplanned for calls on our time and our, what my family would call spoons, on our ability to cope with situations. It's the unexpected little tests, the unexpected little trials that really can throw off your day, your mood, and your disposition to others. Without Moses the children of Israel would have been stuck with bitter water and bitter hearts. But they had identified their spiritual leader. They came to him who they could trust to talk to God and provide insight regarding their life's challenges. He did. A solution was there, and the water became sweet, drinkable. And not only that, he led them from there, God led them from there, directly to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. If you camp near water, it's cooler than if you camp just in the middle of the desert. You know what's also cooler? Shade. That is amazing. Palm trees. And in this passage, I think we get a real quick snapshot of what life with God is. 
They go from a desert for three days. They come to a pool. It's bitter. And then Christ enters your life. And you have that opportunity to turn that bitterness into sweetness. And I really think that Elam here represents our final destination. There are 12 tribes of Israel, and there just happens to be 12 pools. This Elam is a place of rest for them after a trying journey, a time of stress. And I think it represents heaven. Take that as you will. So the first way that we can help manage our bitterness is to have to seek out and find somebody in our life who is a spiritual leader who can talk to us, talk sense to us with a, a divine perspective on what our situation needs and what needs to be done. Do you have such a person in your life? The next passage we'll be looking at is Ruth 1, 15 to 21. This is, takes place in the time of the judges. Naomi and Elimelech, who are from Bethlehem, whenever Bethlehem comes up, think about somebody else from Bethlehem and there's probably some relation going to happen in there. Naomi and Elimelech travel from Israel to Moab during a time of famine because they desire to find food. While they're there, they're there for about 10 years. While they're there, the two sons get married off. And Elimelech and the two sons all die. And Naomi is now alone in a foreign country with her two relatively new daughter-in-laws. And she's like, I'm guessing the famine's over in Bethlehem and it's time for me to go back. You guys should probably go back to your families because obviously there's no blessing from me coming your way. There is only, let's say, a lack of blessing. So if we start at verse 15, Naomi says, Look, your sister-in-law, she's talking to Ruth, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. You should go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people are my people, and your God is my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem, where they arrived in Bethlehem. The whole town was astir because of them. The women there exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, 
because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. The star of the book of Ruth, by no surprise, is Ruth. She is an amazing woman. She was, my, she was what you might call a fierce friend. You could translate what she said to Naomi as roughly, I'm going with you, full stop. We're friends. Your friends are my friends. We are family. Your God is my God. The only thing that's going to separate us is death. And even then, you won't get off that easy because I'm going to be buried next to you. She comes off as a little intense to me. But you know where she stands. This kind of friend is still around when you start calling yourself bitter. I'm sure that Ms. Bitter was no party to be around. But Ruth stuck with her. She went out and got them food when they needed food. She kept her connected to the community. And Ruth brought new life into Naomi, Ms. Bitter's world. Ruth married her kinsman redeemer, Boaz, and gave Naomi a grandson. we read Ruth 4, 14 through 17, we see that the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. And Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and cared for him. If you read the rest of the passage here, it names him Obed. And it turns out that Obed is David's grandfather. which kind of ties in the whole story of Ruth with the rest of the narrative. Because you're reading Ruth, and you think, great story. Where is, what, what's going on here? Why are we, I mean, like, it's a lovely story. Why are we talking about this? But we see God has tied this Moabite woman into the narrative. And I would just like to say as a side note, that Jesus was in an incredibly advantageous position. They say you don't get to pick your family, but he was not only able to pick his mom, he was able to pick his distant ancestors. And he, you know, we, we, don't, get, we don't get to do stuff like that. But he saw this Moabite woman and said, I want her as part of my heritage. I want that fierce lady to be one of my great-grandmothers. And they're like, you know, if there was a conversation happening, you'd be like, well, she's a Moabite woman. You know, like, it's not, she's not really part of the whole God's people. And he's like, let's make it happen. And so it did. 
But what do we learn about managing bitterness from this passage? It pays to have close, godly friends who are walking through life with you. If you don't have one, you're missing out, and so is that other person. You and your friend could be following Galatians 6.2, which tells us to bear each other's burdens. We're all going to be going through bitter times at some point. We need to find someone with whom we can make a roof pact. I'm going to be with you no matter what. When life is bitter and you feel like calling yourself bitterness, I'm still going to be here no matter what. Do you have such a friend? It pays to search for one before the bitter times arrive. The next and last section is about brothers. When I was a child, I had a condition that required me to eat mud three times a day in order to survive. It's lucky my older brother found out about it, to be honest. Yeah, it was a joke, yeah. And the last story we're going to look at is the story of Jacob. Uh, Joseph. Jacob was Joseph's father. He got renamed Israel, and that's how the whole Israel, Israeli people came about. He had two wives. And if you're counting, that's probably one too many. Just in case you're wondering. He also had children by four different people while both of his wives were still alive. That's probably three too many. This created some problems. He only loved, really, one of those people, one of his wives named Rachel. She only had two sons and, gave, and died giving birth to the second one. And that first son that she had was named Joseph. He ended up having several older brothers, but he was dad's favorite. Let's move to Genesis 37 as the last passage we talk about. In Genesis 37, we get a little glimpse into the outcome of this favoritism by Jacob towards Joseph. Joseph was a young man of 17. He was tending flocks with his brothers, the son of Bildad, the son of Zilpath, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Not a great start. Now Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his brothers because he had been born to him in his old age and through Rachel. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. 
when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak with him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were building sheaves of, we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up, stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and what he had said. Later, Joseph had another dream where not only his brothers, but his parents bowed down to him. This is not something he should have shared, probably, with the group. Some things you got to keep to yourself. In the rest of the story, we see him sent by his father to check in on them by himself, which shows that he did not understand the relationship that was going on there because they hated him. So they decided that they were going to throw him into a cistern, and they were ready to kill him. But instead, they sold him into slavery in Egypt and lied to daddy about it. He became a slave in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife lied about him, said he was doing things he shouldn't have been doing. And so he was thrown in jail. He showed that he had a close relationship with God and interpreted dreams and stuff and became the king. He solved the king's dream problem and was placed in a great position of authority. And a famine came, and now he's in a position to return the favor to his brothers. Bitterness is contagious. Joseph's brothers were mistreated by their father. He showed favoritism towards Joseph, and in this way he actually mistreated Joseph as well, because Joseph did not get that he was not the center of the universe. He was treated like he was the main man when he is just one of the guys. And so Joseph was thoughtless in his behavior and embittered his brothers toward himself through his thoughtless actions. But their bitterness was really rooted in what Jacob had done by showing favoritism towards him and not treating them the way that they ought to have been treated as fellow heirs. Their bitterness should have, by all rights, infected Joseph. His brothers cast him down a road that led to slavery, abuse, false accusations, jail time, dashed hopes, and intense, prolonged isolation. If you are looking for a recipe about how to make somebody bitter, the devil's recipe would look something like that. And he knows all about it. But the Bible tells us that under Potiphar, 
under the jail warden. And when he was under the Pharaoh, the Lord was with him all that time. And the Lord blessed him all that time. The Lord provided the insight, superhuman insight to him all that time. When he was in jail, um, solving, you could say, those dream questions. And he ultimately positioned him to save many lives because of the trials that he went through. When he was given, at the end, a chance to repay his brothers because he could have done anything he wanted to them. There was slavery in Israel. They came to Egypt hoping to find something to sustain themselves, and they come face to face with a very powerful brother who they had badly mistreated. And ultimately, we read in Genesis 50, verses 19 through 21, Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. How do we traverse those hard situations and come out like that? Because I don't think I come out like that. I, I, by the Lord's power, you can come out like that, but not by your own. The Lord was with Joseph. And Joseph was with the Lord. He came to the Lord's table every day. Who other, what other table could he come to? With intense isolation, you come to a new land. You don't speak the language. You don't have any friends. You don't know a soul. And instead of turning in on himself, Joseph came to the Lord's table as described in Psalm 23, the table that God had prepared him in the presence of his enemies, in the presence of strangers. Joseph was with the Lord, and the Lord provided the sustaining power. He trusted in this path that he would not assuredly have chosen for himself. So, what have we seen in these three passages about managing our bitterness? Number one, find, identify a spiritual leader. Someone, 
doesn't have to be a pastor. Borderline, I don't want to say shouldn't be a pastor, but they have a lot of stuff that they're doing. And if it is a pastor, that's great. It doesn't have to be a pastor. Identify somebody that you can trust will go to God in prayer about the situations that are confronting you and will provide you godly insight into what's going on. So find a spiritual leader. Number two, find a fierce friend to travel through life with. A lot of sermons are about yourself and things that you need to look. I must confess that I definitely fall short on this one. I have not, I have not in my life consistently had that friend who I'm walking through life with. And sometimes if you're not doing that, then you're trying to make it on your own and you only got just so much steam by yourself. But you need to find that fierce friend who will pick you up when you fall down and carry your burdens with you. Do you have that friend? And are you willing to become that friend for somebody else? Number three, spiritual intimacy with God. I hope that none of us go through what Joseph went through. He was mistreated on many, many different levels. He is undoubtedly a picture of Christ in a lot of ways and seems almost borderline like too good to be true in some senses. But it is certain that he had an intimacy with God so that when the king asked him, can you solve this? Can you answer, tell me what this dream is about? He's like, I can't. And undoubtedly the king was a little like, okay, I don't know why you're here then. Um, but he said, but God can, and he will reveal it to me. I know he will, because he did it for me in the past, because I walk with him. Do you have, are you coming to the Lord's table on a regular basis and getting access to that sustaining power? A final thought. These are strange New Year's Eve message, just to be clear. I recognize that. Bitterness. Let's talk about bitterness as we go into the fresh new year. But bitterness is stale. And bitterness, we don't really recognize it as much because it's just like, yeah, this is the natural result of those situations. And it is the natural result of embittering situations. People who go through bitter things naturally become bitter. Yes, naturally. But as Christians, we're offered supernatural access to sustaining power that will allow us to supersede the natural order of things. 
Bitterness isolates us. It keeps us from reaching out our hand to our fellow man, to our old friends, and to family sometimes. And it causes us to withhold blessing from them that they might otherwise receive from us. And I think something to consider this year as you move forward is who in my life have I turned away from because of circumstances that I need to turn back to? Whose relationship has embittered me that needs to receive blessing from me still? As worship team comes up, I will leave you with that, that there are the task that these passages present to us are finding spiritual leaders, finding friends, and finding the table of the Lord that you can come to and receive that spiritual sustaining power that will allow you to live not a flashy miraculous life, but the type of life that can be identified as others in saying, wow, how do you still, with what you have traveled through, have hope and have the ability to, to lean in to those hard situations? How do you manage your bitterness?